Good evening. Welcome to the show with Kroll. Tonight, a long overdue story on my behalf as far as uh, my take. Uh, <laughs> lots of developing things otherwise around the, around the world and across the nation. So, uh, forgive me for my lack of coverage on this. I have been doing my best to keep up with the news uh, globally. And lots of things that uh, I have to talk about as far as this particular subject. Claudine Gay's New York Times op-ed whenever she was removed from the presidency of Harvard. Of course, it was meant to sound, I'm sure, like she was a victim of uh, all several things, let's just say it that way. She was meant to try to attempt, I believe, to stir the pot. And it did work for a little while. But, uh, to be honest with you, the media coverage kind of fizzled. So, hopefully, uh, that story is now gone. And, uh, long forgotten, but, uh, I will go ahead and give my opinion on her op-ed that she wrote. Um, one of the first things she said was that, uh, the call to testify before Congress was, quote, a well-laid trap, end quote. Well, um, let's see. If you have been a student of any particular college, as has Claudine Gay, and has uh, risen to the top, as did Claudine Gay, and was the president of an elite campus. For even a little bit of time, as was Claudine Gay, you would tend to think that uh, any particular individual with those credentials would see a quote, well, a trap, end quote. Before they enter it. Wouldn't you think? And. That particular individual. Would not participate. In any way. In said well laid trap. As far as to become. Captured in it. And. Uh. That's where I have a problem with what Claudine Gay said. 
as far as to call it to Congress. Now, as the president of Harvard at the time, you would think that prior to testifying before Congress, that she would have been fully prepped by tremendously uh, talented staff that would have, in my view, had the foresight to um, I I don't know what would be what would be the appropriate phrasing here if they would have the, the that these people that would prep Claudine Gay if they they would have the foresight to uh, map out as it were any line of questioning that could potentially come up and have any number of answers at her disposal at any given time and then have a script prepared for follow-up answers. At least that's what I would think. And then they would prep her by saying just stick to the script do not ad lib and uh, you'll be fine that's what I would think you know you you have a script prepared you have a well trained staff that fully preps you maps out every single question that could potentially come up thinks of all eventualities as far as uh, when to say nothing other than stick to particular parts of the script and that's that. Do not deviate from the script. Apparently she didn't. So, um, How is this uh, a problem for anyone other than Claudine Gay? That's a good question. Well, Claudine Gay can now say at any point in time that uh, Harvard didn't give her a fair hand to deal with her testimony. She could say that she was a victim of racism at any point in time, as she alluded to directly or indirectly at any point in time in her op-ed. I read some of it. I skimmed over it. I will admit it. Skimmed over it, read a few things on there, looked for keywords, and, you know, I saw a lot of statements made to where she had an out on everything that did not go her way. 
Uh, she, uh, she appeared bitter. Uh, she appeared, uh, in her wording and phrasing of certain things. Um, as I, as I understood what, uh, her point was trying to make was, uh, it appeared, uh, inflammatory. And it appeared to be that, uh, it worked in some regard because Al Sharpton got involved. Uh, a ton of people got involved as far as voicing their displeasure at her being relieved of duties as president of Harvard. Um, a lot of them said, you know, same thing that I'm saying, that she was a, that she, it appeared to me that she was going to call that she was a victim of racism, and that's basically the phrasing that was used over and over and over again. Um, a lot of finger pointing of blame went straight to Harvard. Um, you know, and I pretty much called that uh, several weeks prior on on threads. Uh, <laughs> if any if anybody, you know pays attention to uh, anything that gets said out there if it's not uh, left wing bias you know I, I'm <laughs> I'm not a lefty you know I don't apologize for being right but um, I said about oh I don't know several days into her Situation that ended up with her being relieved of duties. <clears throat> I said that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I said that uh, Harvard was being painted into a corner because at the time that was upwards of 500 faculty members that voiced support towards Claudine Gay and I said that uh, Harvard's going to be uh, stuck with a hard decision to make. And no matter what the decision is, it's going to be labeled negatively from either side. And uh, apparently, I was absolutely right about it. Because at first, the uh, Harvard board uh, backed her fully. And showed nothing but support for her. And there was a lot of backlash. Not only from... Uh, media. Of all sorts. Press. Of all sorts. Um, I don't know. I mean, every every everybody that had a talk show or a, anything like that, everybody had an opinion. As far as you know, why why is she not being held accountable? Why is she not being fired? Why is she not this that and the other? Um, 
and and that included students from particularly Harvard. that were claiming that she was not being held accountable and if any of them were to be facing the allegations of plagiarism that she was at the time, that they would be expelled at uh, the at the very least um, and possibly blackballed at the uh, most extreme. And um, that went on for quite a while. <clears throat> and, well, Harvard backtracked. And then made a statement that uh, they were expecting her to resign. But what they did not tell anybody at that point in time and what a lot of people did not pay attention to whenever Claudine Gay made the statement herself. And I believe it was in an email that she made the statement of her resigning or stepping down or whatever the phrasing was. She did mention that she was still going to uh, be on staff as, I believe, a faculty member elsewhere within the campus or within the university uh, system. Let's see. Let me refer to my, let me look at my notes. I took some notes on this. I like to try to keep as factually correct on this as I can. That way, whenever the possibility that any of you out there want to bring up this kind of stuff and, and have conversations about it, <clears throat> you will... Uh, be able to have pertinent information that makes sense in an argument whenever you uh, make your points be known. Let's see. A lot of notes, as you can tell, you can hear the papers moving around. Okay. Well, I guess I don't have it here. I don't know <laughs> if I have it anywhere or not. There, I have so many notes that there's chicken scratch and sometimes I can't read my own writing. Uh, let's see. Uh, Claudine Gay did mention, yes, that she was going to resign and that she was going to remain elsewhere within the, within the university. 
but she did not mention that what I was looking for was the exact wording. I'm sorry, but it's not in my notes here. Um, but she did not, uh, she did mention, like I said in her email, that she was going to stay on board in, a, in, a, in another position. And I don't know I, offhand if it was tenured or not. Um, but um, she she brought up the fact that she was going to still remain on a salary of nine hundred thousand dollars yearly, which is not bad, <laughs> considering the fact that uh, she lied and. Uh, pretty much stole every word that got her into the office of president of Harvard. And at some point after her resignation announcement, she did threaten to sue Harvard. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Sometime prior to stepping down, whenever she was asked by Harvard board to resign and her flat out refusing to at some point whenever they were working out things prior to her statement of resignation, the, the, the power struggle there, as it were, uh, when she refused to resign and uh, Harvard was still looking for a way to get her out of power um, <laughs> they uh, they uh, faced a threat of lawsuit from Claudine Gay if she was going to be fired now I'm pretty sure there was going to be all kinds of uh, racist talking points as far as uh, how she was fired because of this, that, and the other, uh, as far as any kind of race issue was concerned. And Harvard was probably trying to figure out through their, uh, you know, their lawyers how to uh, nip that in the bud. So, I mean, that threat was eliminated. And, uh, well... She managed to stay on board, and I'm not sure at this point if she's still there, and I don't think at this point anybody really cares, because, hey, you make 900 grand in a year, and you pretty much didn't do anything to earn it as far as your own merit. I mean, that's not anything to uh, cry about whenever you lose your job, but you still stay at your uh, place of employment in a lower position, but you still keep your higher position pay. Uh, like I say... Uh, on uh, my social media outlets. And I believe I've said it 
on my show before at least once or twice it must be nice um for people to pick and choose when they get fired how they get fired the ability to uh keep your rate of pay whenever you stay at your employer stay at your place of employment but your employer demotes you to a lower position that you were at prior to being elevated and uh, i mean if only we could all do that in our places of employment i mean who wouldn't uh who wouldn't you know like to be like okay i'm making you know how much you know how much how much how much money would you like to make and uh how much uh time would you like to be in your position before we decide to let you go and then how how much money would you like to continue making uh once we demote you but we don't completely uh cut you off from uh total employment within your within the workplace and Nobody wants to hear about how um, you're a victim of racism or anything like that. And no, we don't want to hear any inflammatory remarks about anything because uh, you basically uh, manipulated your way into your position of power. And then you basically used your manipulations again to keep your job within the employment source and you keep your rate of pay that they gave you whenever they promoted you and uh that's something that not a whole lot of people not only in america but around the world get to do regardless of race regardless of background so i mean that's you know, when whenever people, whenever people were finally found out, because she only only she mentioned that to begin with, as far as her rate of pay that she would be keeping, she announced that in her resignation statement in her email. That was an internal memo that I believe was later put out to the press, either leaked or uh, something, but it was made known, and it's. It was all over social media. So, I mean, it's still there. Not unless somebody took it down, but it was there whenever I looked for it uh, several weeks ago. Now, if that was done on purpose, who knows? Was it done out of anger? Possibly. Was it done to uh incite people possibly because what people did not read was that statement whenever they were all like unfair 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 you know all this and that of course there was there was backlash then whenever she announced that she was having to step down nobody read her fine print of the money she would still be making and so of course here comes people from the woodworks again 
And there's Al Sharpton, again, I'm sure, uh, leading the, the crowd. So, I mean, both ways, both sides of the coin, there's backlash. Harvard was put in a no-win situation, but they put themselves in it. Why? Because they had, and they said, they admitted that they didn't fully vet, uh, Claudine Gay as they should have during her interview process. Uh, they didn't fully think through is what they're trying to say. Because they had to have known at some point there was something there that uh, I'm not sure if she was already red flagged for plagiarism at that point. But she was there for, uh, what, six months? Six months and two days, if I'm not mistaken, it was. But, uh, you know, she had red flags. And, I mean, she even had a mapped out, detailed uh, manifesto that uh, she submitted to Harvard as far as how she was wanting to implement DEI and... Um, she knew that it was going to be uh, messy and that it was going to take time and that it was going to take repetition and it was going to take uh, people staying the course and, uh, and, and you know it was just a, a mapped out detailed deal how she wanted to do step by step I think there was at least a dozen steps and each each step had a PowerPoint, and it was uh, if you if you would if you are able to find it, uh, it's very specific and it's very uh, oh I don't know how it, it it's it'll blow your mind away just a little bit as far as how Harvard did not catch on to what this was. And what it was going to do to the university and the public perception as far as um, the view of Harvard as an elite university, a, uh, a global leader in edu higher education and, you know, on and on and on. And I said... That it had to have set Harvard back at least 90 years. <laughs> um, President Trump mentioned that uh, I believe that it, uh, he, in his estimation, I believe it was Harvard was set back a hundred years. I can't, I can't remember the exact number, but. Um, you know everybody that that knew what was going on knew that Harvard was being sent back, and President Trump's opinion was the strongest of the call at that time, and it still is at this point because he's President Trump. And name one time whenever the man was wrong about anything that he has pretty much predicted or. Uh, called out 
Go ahead. I'll wait. Wait's over. <laughs> but uh, here's my question to all of you to uh, really think about. Really, really, you really mull this one over. Uh, let's let's be the spark of conversation. Like I, 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 uh, I like to say that this show is water cooler conversations or uh, conversations with. with uh, your friends, you, you know, co-workers, whatever the case may be, you know, you gather around, you download this show, you save it for later listening, uh, you gather around, and you, you know, you you set, set some time aside just to listen to the show and uh, have an open discussion amongst all of you, and, you know, you, you, you have a, a civilized conversation. You know, maybe maybe you argue a few points here and there, but, you know, you discuss. And um, here's my question. With this complete fiasco that Harvard put itself into concerning Claudine Gay, is it now time? For a reevaluation of affirmative action. And here's the reason why I say this. Okay. Hear me out. And I said I stated this on threads. Affirmative action is the literal root from the poison tree under which DEI was derived from. Affirmative action is and has been a direct insult to all minorities as well as underprivileged people who've been under the thumb of the government that's holding them back and keeping them beholden to the Democrats. Now, think about that for a moment. Now, whenever I say all minorities, I'm talking about members of the black community. I'm talking about members of the brown community. I'm talking about members of the white community. As far as the lower class, the poverty-stricken, I'm talking about the people that have pretty much uh, no, there is not a glass ceiling on them. There is a hard ceiling on them as far as how far in life they can go successfully. And I'm talking about from a social socioeconomic standpoint. I'm talking about from a uh, standpoint of their own well-being mentally and physically 
uh, as far as being able to uh, feel like a success, to be able to provide for themselves and their families, and to be able to afford the basic necessities, to be and to be able to afford to uh, take care of hospitalizations if necessary, or any kind of medical emergencies, or any kind of medical situations. And that's also what I mean as far as underprivileged. A lot of people that I just described in those situations have the hardest time with health care and with being able to feel like they have been successful in taking care of their loved ones and their and their entire families. No matter how big or small their families are. And that's what I mean also by being under the thumb of the government that's been holding them back and keeping them beholden to the Democrats. Because for at least, oh, I don't know, 75, 80, 85 years or more, the Democratic Party has made promises upon promises upon promises They have literally bribed those very people that I described into getting their votes, promising them the moon and the stars above. And then whenever those promises are not delivered, Oh, it's the Democrat. Uh, it's not the Democrats' fault. It's not the Democrats' fault. It's not the Democratic Party's fault. We we did our best. We did everything we could. Uh, damn Republicans! Damn Republicans! You know, they don't want to. There's no. There's no uh, bipartisan work here. There's just. I mean, the constant. The constant politics. As far as the, the pointing of fingers of blame, and. Uh, the the you know and and it and it doesn't just last four years. It goes on and on, and apparently it's gone on for generations. It's gone on for far too long, and uh, ask anyone that has been under the thumb of the government in the ways that I've described. As far as the how I described my uh, explanation of minorities and underprivileged people. Talk to any of those people. Get to know them. Don't don't invite them to uh, 
some sit down in a studio or something like that. No, 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 no. Ask them if you can go to their home. See firsthand. See everything. Learn everything. Have a human connection. And if you're not affected in one way or another to feel some heartache, to feel some sense of loss, to feel their anguish, and to feel their suffering as far as their mental their mental struggle their physical struggle as far as how it's affecting them mentally and physically they don't they don't hey I lived it there's times where there's times where I remember those days I lived it not long ago not not so many years ago where you're you're looking at your paycheck and you're looking at your bills and you're looking at what what responsibilities other than your bills and stuff you have and you got to stretch that paycheck out for another week and a half two weeks you know you got to make it last two weeks and you're you're stuck with like maybe if you're lucky a hundred bucks to last that long after your rent and your bills and your other responsibilities Food, gas for your car, insurance for your car, any other bills you might have. Any other financial responsibilities you may have outside of, you know, everyday bills, such as your utilities. Your, you know, anything like that. If you have a medical bill of any kind... If you have any other kind of bill, maybe your car broke down or something, you had to get it fixed, now you're stuck. You know, you're not making, you're not making Claudine Gay money, 900 grand a year. You know, you're probably making 400, 500 bucks every two weeks. And you bust your ass, your knuckles... Your knuckles are scraped and bleeding. You know, your your legs and back are tired. You know, you you get you, you get uh, worn out so much to the point where by the time you go home all you have the strength to do is maybe take a shower and eat a little something, watch about ten minutes of T V before your eyes get heavy, then you go to bed. And you wake up early in the morning or sometime later on in the next day and you do it all over again. For four or five hundred dollars every two weeks. And you gotta make it, you gotta make it last. So, you know, 
You sit down with these people. You get to know their plight. And you tell me. Okay. Here's, here's what I mean. You tell me where affirmative action is helping anybody anymore or if it was helpful at all because of the fact that under the um, umbrella of affirmative action, answer me this. When affirmative action came into being, however many years ago it was, When affirmative action came into being, were or were they not meaning to have, as far as the authors of affirmative action, whenever it became law, or whatever the case may be with it, I don't even know anymore. When affirmative action was written, were there any in, you know, under that umbrella that scope of of the state of the of the entire uh mission of of affirmative action wasn't diversity and inclusion and equity and all these catchwords and stuff like that wasn't all that stuff supposed to be under that umbrella of affirmative action. So. Why is DEI necessary? Or did affirmative action evolve. Into something. More inflammatory. More. Uh, racially motivated. More of a darker. If you will. Uh, a darker reason to stick it to the man kind of thing and uh, target white people that they that upper uh the upper, the so-called upper crust, you know, uh, the haves, distinguishing further and gapping further the haves and the have-nots. It's a serious question. And the reason why I'm asking this is because of the fact that uh, <laughs> it, it, I found this I just by chance, and I thought it was absolutely interesting, and thought, well, this is definitely something I I would love to make mention of on my show. Uh, the DEI office. At Johns Hopkins. And here's, you know, this is, this is going to fall, this is the perfect segue into, into this right here. 
what I just brought up, the question and everything about uh, uh, DEI under the umbrella, and then, and or did it evolve? It did affirmative action evolve into DEI? This is the perfect segue into it. Uh, as far as this this statement here that I'm about to read, the DE office, the DEI office, excuse me, at Johns Hopkins University put out a quote-unquote hit list against males, whites, Christians, middle-aged, oh, middle-aged people, able-bodied people, uh, and the the middle and property-owning class, as well as English-speaking people, as far as the end of the list. Okay, those are Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, well, what is it, eight, nine, seven, eight, nine? Seven, eight, nine, uh, different, uh, categories there. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I got, I count eight, uh, I left out one because it, 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 it's just, the dumbest thing I've ever seen as far as I don't particularly think that uh, cisgendered crap needs to be even touched out of just sheer principle because it's the most ignorant that is the most ignorant phrase cisgendered I don't, uh, it's not, it's not, it's, it, it, that's more made up than, uh, identifying as a cat, or, you know, or, uh, any other, uh, or pronouns that they keep coming up with, there's no, there, who cares, that's just ridiculous. You give an inch, they take a mile. That crap. That you know that that's neither here nor there. That's probably another show entirely. Okay. But the DEI office at Johns Hopkins put out that hit list on these these particular categories of people, and calling them benefactors of unearned benefits. Okay. Well, <laughs> now, how does that, how does that tie in as far as, uh, where, where, where I'm asking, the, the, I pose the question of reevaluating affirmative action and did affirmative action evo- evolve into DEI uh you know it will, all that stuff like that that we're um, talking about here as far as especially the my my uh my explanation of minorities and underprivileged people. So, 
with this particular hit list from Johns Hopkins University. We're talking about white Christian middle-aged males who are able-bodied and own any kind of property. I mean, I don't guess, I don't know, what are we talking about? Are we talking about a car? Are we talking about um, appliances? Are we talking about a home? Are we talking about real estate as far as just flat out land? Are we talking about what? I mean, what are we talking about? I can, I can own all kinds of property if you're going to classify it like, like the way I'm asking. So in that in that regard, um, that puts the wedge, as I've explained, that what DEI and affirmative action has done. That's putting the wedge further into a divide racially. How is that inclusive? How, how, how does that work? As far as what DEI claims that they're supposed to do. As, or, or uh, you know, the stuff, this, you know, the, all this stuff as far as inclusion and, uh, and, uh, and all that. You know, what, what's, what's the deal there? What, is, that go, is that going against your goal, your mission statement? That you put that you constantly put forth to explain things as far as how you how it's supposed to be. So you're basically saying it's us against them. Uh, here's the them white folks and Christian white folks at that that own anything pretty much, and they speak English. So, the us part is going to be everybody other than them, which is the white Christian men that own just about pretty much any kind of property. And what do we talk about? Number two pencil? Stuff like that? I mean, it's what kind of us against them is that? How much sense does that make, realistically? And how are these all unearned benefits? Explain your unearned benefits further, if you will, if you will. But fortunately, you know she did go into this. The woman that wrote this, it was on. It was in a newsletter. This hit list was in a newsletter, and it was unearthed by uh, at end wokeness on X. They released the unearthed newsletter from the chief diversity officer. Her name is Dr. Uh, what is it? Sharita or Shanita H. Golden. Dr. Dr. Golden. We'll just leave it at that. You can, you can find it pretty much in, on any search engine. The chief diversity officer at Johns Hopkins University, Dr. Golden. She retracted her newsletter 
as far as the hit list and everything, and and her description of unearned, unearned benefits, and said that it was not intended to offend anyone. <laughs> okay. And she went on to say that further messages in newsletters will better reflect on organizational values. Well, I think you pretty much nailed it on the head the first time, didn't you? You can't go, you can't, you can't really take that back now. I mean, you can retract it all you want to, but it's already been out there. It's probably been screenshotted and spread around. Probably went viral, probably went super viral. It's out there. It's on the internet. Internet's forever. So what you said the first time is out there. Dr. Golden. So, um, you take it back all you want to, but, um, isn't, isn't that what, uh, a lot of things that are said by people that are, uh, pro DEI and such as that, what you said the first time is what you really meant. Or you, you could joke all you want to, but a lot of truth is said in jest. Such stuff like that. To try to paint somebody into a corner to where you're trying to make them out to be whatever monster you, you, you want. You want to have them portrayed to be and work towards their cancellations. That's how it works, right? Pretty much, in a nutshell. We all know that. So, you know, you don't have to answer that question. But, you know, as I said, at in wokeness on X, they found that. And, uh, that's, that's, that's great stuff. As far as, uh, DEI and how it operates, especially in particular, a leading university such as Johns Hopkins. You know, now we know where... All kinds of tuition money that is ridiculously high anymore has been going. And uh, I, in some regards, I, I tend to agree uh, a, a, a lot with Charlie Kirk. And in this regard, his statement of college is a scam, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Because look at the look at the tuition prices. It doesn't matter but pick a college. Pick any four year college. And for that matter, uh, you know just uh, it doesn't even have to be a, a division one college. It could be a division three college as far as uh you know, uh, not only just academically, but athletically. It doesn't have to be a top, uh, a top college anymore as far as what you consider top colleges. It could be, I don't know, some lesser known college, but it's still very well established in academia. 
uh, how are you gonna how are you gonna justify what a few grand a few hundred grand or a hundred grand or a few hundred grand a year or whatever the case may be on education whenever basically it's indoctrination that's the stuff right there the DEI chief officer that's the stuff that they're teaching that's the stuff they're not teaching that they're hammering it down your kids throats they're pounding it into their brain 24-7 but oh I'm sorry didn't mean to offend anybody I retract it I, I fully take back everything I said mm-hmm okay How's that helping anyone now, though? But anyway. And, you know, DEI has a very terrible track record. Look it up. As a result of certain things, as far as uh, get-togethers with staff and stuff, that they, 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 they do these seminars and stuff. As a result of these seminars... White people are getting bashed as far as verbally and, and into cancellation to the point where at least one that I'm aware of that I could find that's confirmed, documented, uh, one white individual committed suicide. Look it up. How many people have been, have committed suicide due to DEI incidents? It's a real thing. It's dangerous. DEI is dangerous. And it needs to be eliminated. And like I said, affirmative action needs to be reviewed because of this. Because it's a DEI, as I described, falls under that umbrella. And it's derived from that poisonous tree of affirmative action. Just some food for thought. Never stop learning. Always question why. Never accept just what you're being told as the truth from the mainstream media. Always, always, always question. This is, so, this is the show with Kroll. Thank you for listening. Good night.